we're off. We are off. Mm. It's good to have you on, Chris. Welcome. Thanks, Roy. It's good to be here. Yeah. Welcome, guys, to another Dad Talk on the Balanced Mill Podcast Series. I have a... He's not just a dad. He is also brother of a dad who was on the podcast prior is am i the first brother are we the first brothers on the pod yep, you are the first brothers on the pod I'm, and we have a brother-in-law also i know and the brother-in-law has been on man this is and the hope is at some point maybe we'll get the father of the brothers i was thinking about him on the way over uh-huh and i thought you would enjoy a conversation with him i think i would too um i have been told that i have to have my father-in-law on first before i have a grandfather on are you is most people on the podcast of a generation of like current dads of young children or are you getting some nice intergenerational i would like to get more intergenerational okay there's like there's i bet some guys would love to do that if they knew what podcasts were yeah um i've had (laughs) i've had a dad on who has an adult daughter um but he's only like 55. Okay. And so But that's nice. I mean, it's it some more perspective. Mhm. Yeah, it's the just a long game of parenthood or fatherhood. It's a uh, Mhm. I my kids eight. So I think already it's like, wow, so much has changed my thinking about being a dad in 8 years. Mm-hmm. I can't even comprehend 24 years of being a dad. Oh, I know. Like <laughs> It always feels like a lifetime, but I remember when my kid was born thinking four was a lifetime away and we're already almost to five. So it's just crazy how quickly things, how quickly life goes. Did you find like any, um, major age changes like released something for you? Cause I've been thinking about this a lot lately and four, four was an age with my first daughter, I've got two. Uh-huh. I've got an eight-year-old, and now an almost four-year-old. Uh-huh. And four was a threshold of autonomy, uh, communication, negotiation. There was just a, a a settlement of routines that I noticed at four that released a lot for me. I was like, oh, we're in a new dimension of doing all this. Did you notice that at any particular age? I notice it now when we're around friends and people. That I, I don't think about, this might sound bad, I don't think about where he is a lot because I know he could kind of handle himself a little bit more. Okay, yeah, yeah. And stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, there's autonomy. Um, I don't know. Like, there ha- there is a lot more that's changing, like, that I'm noticing. But really, this has been, I felt like this is just more of a transitional year. Like, we're kind of like, I haven't seen... I've seen big changes in like his understanding of things and routines are a little bit different, but it's been a transitional year for our family. So mm. things haven't really settled Yeah, yeah. I yet. Um, I mean, I'm really, <laughs> I feel like I'm releasing more than he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, and we were talking about this earlier before yeah. we, we, we turned on, but the idea of uh, who who's getting the focus of the energy in the family uh-huh. is a really interesting one when you've got a mom and a dad and a kid or two. And yeah. Who gets a feature? 
and I grew up as a middle child, so I was really aware of like feature dynamics as like whose year is it? You know, who's going through transition? Who needs energy? Um, and who's you know a little more peripheral in the mm-hmm. year? And it could be a job transition, an illness, first year in high school. You know, those kinds of things, and seeing that move as a dynamic in a family. And this year, I'm feeling that actually for my like from my family right now, it's uh, for my wife. And a lot of mm-hmm. new energy for her, and being like, oh, okay, she's taking a little. We we uh, we heard this term over the New Year's, main character energy, and uh, <laughs> it was kind of a main character. I energy. think I, I think like you that. appreciate sort of like the irony underneath it, but it is, in a way, I think for folks who sometimes don't always see themselves as a main character in their own story, mm-hmm. to live into the power of like, this is the story. I'm living the story. Um, but there's also real power in saying, I can give main character energy. It's your time to have a little of that that shine. Wow. And I don't need it right now. Who's getting the main character energy? I'm trying to give it to my wife a little bit, oh, if okay, I'm good. honest, yeah, like right now. Because yeah. actually, we, we lived up in outside New York for five years, and we did that move a lot for my job. And uh-huh. I felt like I was getting a lot of the main character energy in our house. Yeah. And then our kids were you know, sort of along with that. But I'm I'm exploring that and seeing that with her now. It's like... We're seeing a shift there. How can we do that? Yeah. I think that this year for me is stepping into that, stepping into the main character energy for sure. It's really funny that you're talking about that because I, that's been the goal is mm. like, okay, you made the decision. You're shifting into away from teaching and into this yeah. space. So be in that space, be that person. Yeah. It's pretty wild. It's, it's, it's hard to be in that space though. It's hard to accept it. Yeah. I think more it's hard for the person to accept it versus i mean it's probably easy for you to say no take this please take this you be the main character right now yeah in a way i feel like that's a it it is feeling good to me yeah but i also because i've had so much middle character energy middle sibling character energy it's also a very comfortable place for me to go Uh to to say like ah no somebody else have some shine and and that's you know personal journey for me it's like there, there's be. deep internal conversations uh-huh. I have about am I getting the attention that I want or deserve versus actually have become really good at learning how to put a shine on somebody else in the best kind of uh-huh. way to support them in their in their journey and where they're at. So that's my internal work to do is to figure out the right balance. So was it hard to be the middle child? <laughs> I didn't find it hard. Uh, I have an older brother, two years older. My younger sister is is four and a half years older than me. Mm -hmm. And so we, Andrew and I were tight and we were kind of running mates there for most of our childhood. And then my little sister came along and she was game. Uh Um, But in a sense, it it felt like a lot of closeness to my brother and like how we saw each other. And, you know, first kids, they always get the most. I, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's impossible not to. Every first you have as a parent is with your first kid and it gets, first time energy and so there's a uniqueness to that that no second or third or however many kids are going to get in the same way and so that creates a natural shadow i've uh-huh. definitely experienced that so that was hard for me because there are times where i relish that shadow and not needing to live up to that energy um, but there are plenty of times too where i wished i was getting that degree of energy that kind of focus yeah i don't it's interesting because you say that and like, cause I'm, I'm the oldest in my family, Okay. but my brothers, yeah. are, my brothers are twins. Oh, okay. so, and they're three years younger than me. And 
And so I felt that they got more than I did. And that's, I think that has to do with there being two of them instead of one. Yeah. Like I still got, I got, I got all the, the first time trials of punishments. Like you also get the first try. Yeah. But like, I, I don't know. Like, I think I've, I've always struggled with that. Like it was them. They showed up and they took it all. Yeah. Which has been and my parents were, were were they were okay and they were fine with with how they dealt with all of us but I don't know when you when you when there's two kids that show up I mean that's Oof. twins are twins are wild and two I boys bet. it's all boys in my family okay yeah so that's just I mean that's chaos yeah yeah that requires something yeah but I think I sum up how I felt about it with my parents always told me the story that when my when they brought my brothers home, I hid them. They were in these little baskets and somehow my three-year-old self found a way to move them from a room and hid them from my parents. For so, how long? I don't know. It was, it was probably <laughs> short. It was probably long enough to freak out, but short enough that there was no harm. But yeah, that would be, I can imagine that you terrified your parents. Were they terrified? Yeah. 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 They, they said they were terrified. And, and I think that kind of has, kept the dynamic uh you set a tone early oh i I did (laughs) and then they set the tone with me like i used to hear stories of they would my mom would say that they would like one would like get my attention so the other one could come from somewhere else and get me and this was at like i was probably four or five and they were like two yeah well i mean you they you had physical size you had mental you know, awareness. they couldn't, they had to team up on you. They did. So there was a lot of teaming up. It's, it's weird. I think, yes, I do feel like I got the shine, but I definitely, there were times that I was like, God, man, nope. Yeah. I'm not the favorite. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I, that's, it's interesting, particularly that unique, cause that's a unique dynamic to have twins come after an older child. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, I think what, what I've heard and what I've found in talking to people about their experience being a sibling, being a kid is that you just experience that position in its own way. Yeah. And it comes mm-hmm. with kind of natural pros and cons. And those are also really relative to your personality. Yeah. When you do meet older kids. They're not, you know, a monolith. There's different kinds of older kids and kids who want to be the star and they just live in that limelight of being uh-huh. the first kid and others who are like, that's not really my vibe. And I'm getting all of it. I'm not really loving that. Uh, yeah. It's it, family dynamics are wild. Hmm. I, I think the reason, I mean, the reason we only have one is because there are twins in my family. Oh, is that it's, right? Oh yeah. It's, it's oh, scary man. to I think would, about. I, yeah. I bet. I mean, you think about the people that, you know, they're like, Oh, you're having triplets. Like I don't. Yeah. I, I, but anyway, I mean, kids are a blessing. I'm just <laughs> kids are a blessing, but, but still, but that's three not or four. That you want three or four. Three or four of them at once is pretty wild. Yeah, that's 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 a lot. That's yeah, a lot. and and I can understand counting the cost of that. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, so you have two kids, right? Two daughters. Two daughters. Yeah, they're they're eight and four. Uh huh. How was it? Was it hard getting used to being in a house of ladies? Is it normal? Is it Oh yeah, I've been thinking about this a little bit more lately. Uh-huh. And that 
I gotta get some more intel. Like, there are brothers out there. If you're out there, like, and you want to talk about this, I am just coming to the awareness that this is a reality in my life. It has been pretty natural, and I, I work very closely. Like, my work is mostly with women, mm -hmm. and so I, I just have a lot of energy, like female energy, around me all the time. So, in some ways, it feels. Um, quite normal and quite good and i, I and the, my girls are great i like love the house uh -huh. um, but i do i do get the suspicion of myself that i'm not actually seeing it i like i'm so in it uh -huh. that i'm wondering how it's shaping and changing me uh -huh. and i would love to talk to other dads who have a house of girls to say what did you notice like changed or what what has been what happened like what's your experience of that i've actually been thinking of a guy in particular like, just call that guy and hear a download for an hour about how he synthesized that he's probably got grandkids now and he had three daughters yeah i mean that it definitely it definitely does things to you i mean with being a teacher i was constantly surrounded by women hmm. and i think what i began i think for me I began to notice that I struggle sometimes being around guys yeah, with how to interact because I had to shift a lot of how I did things, you know, because I mean, I come from a house of boys, hmm. but I can't act the same way to a group of women that what I can to a group of guys. And you just learn to navigate things a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. I think about code switching has been a word that's been useful for me. Hmm. I don't feel inauthentic. Like I hmm. feel 100% being myself. But it tends to be more like the way we're interacting. Yeah. And some of the topics we end up talking about um, that I'm like, oh, I wouldn't talk about these things probably if this was a group of dudes. Uh -huh. We'd be talking about something else. Yeah or we just generally be interacting in a different kind of way. And it's, it's not one is better than the other. And it's actually great. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that experience. Um, but I do, I do wonder, I do wonder if like that amount of time is how it's sh shaping and changing me. I like to think it's actually for the better for the most part. I, yeah, I think so. I think it, it's shaped me. It's shaped me in a lot of positive ways. I think, being around kids for as long as I have had been with teaching shaped and changed me in a way for the positive as well too. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things it's hard to say until you're out of it or, you know, or you're like a little bit older. Um, That's what I'm saying is mm -hmm. like, I can't, I can't, there's, there's a sense in me that I'm changing yeah. and I'm, I'm wondering how much of that dynamic is, is changing me. I was actually thinking about this when you sent over the prompt questions about being a, being a dad and you were there's a question there about sort of like what's been easy i was like ah, being a dad has been very easy on some very primal levels really? for me yeah mm -hmm. like i've just i always wanted to be a dad the 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 feeling of unconditional love is is so simple and natural mm -hmm. to me i don't think about it and um i, I like being with my kids and i know that being around kids for eight years now in a very mm -hmm. close proximity has really changed me and not just because i've been a dad which is true but just because i'm having the experience of being around kids mm -hmm. and that was not something i had 
for most of my adult life. And then all of a sudden it's there. And I've just, there's so much of it that I love. Mm -hmm. And one of the best, and I'd love to know what you loved around being around kids was like goofiness and playfulness that there can just be such fun Mm -hmm. and such pure fun that doesn't need to be paid for. It -hmm. doesn't need to be, you know, created. It just is literally almost always available to have fun with kids. They're ready. They're primed. And if, if I can go there, if I can just open myself up to be silly and goofy and make a game and be present, like, and I found myself taking some of that into more of my adult life Mm -hmm. with other people. I'm like, let's, let's relax a little bit. Like, let's take ourselves, let's, let's go be Gary Busey on the wall here and like, yeah, be a little strange or weird or goofy with each other and not take it all so seriously because adults have such an easy time getting so serious about things. Yeah. Um, and I, I speak from firsthand knowledge of that in myself. Yeah. I think the reason I, I've worked with kids for, you know, close to two decades. And the thing that you, you mentioned the joy. I think when you're dealing with kids, you're not dealing with like, oh, okay, this is okay. Or, or I'm sad. Or no, I'm just kind of tired. Like you're dealing with extremes, but you're dealing with core feelings. Mm-hmm. Like the joy that they're feeling is like it's the indescribable, like tapping into just I, I, even saying joy feels like I'm I'm like lessening it, mm-hmm. but it's like the it's it's the it's the yeah I know what you mean. You know, it's, it's, I'll call it uppercase joy. You know, it's like, this is the best thing in my entire life and I'm going to be in it and I don't want this to ever end. Yeah. You know, and then like, and then when they learn something that they haven't learned before, that seeing their excitement with that is also something you're just like, wow. Like, I didn't know how to do this before and now I'm going to do it. And like, that kind of excitement from them. Like, I mean, it, it rubbed off on me to like, in so many ways. I don't mm. think I'm. Did you find it around any of the, I mean, I sort of relay that about goofiness or joy. I, I'm i a kind of naturally upbeat, mm-hmm. optimistic kind of person. So like getting that, like pure stuff for my kids i like i pop onto that like that is that is giving me something where i'm like oh like hit the joy button more often mm-hmm. in my life but that was kind of um reinforcing something that was already there for me i loved pointing out the good things of life and and saying grace you know like look at what we have here like let's yeah. live it to the full at the same time i i there is the the challenging aspects, the the similarly pure emotions of like, I hate you, uh-huh. and I am my world is crumbling all around me in this moment, you know, because I didn't get a cookie, or whatever. Yeah, and you see it in its similar pure way of like this complete disintegration and disappointment to the place of like fury. Uh-huh. Have you? Has that in experiencing that? Because I'm sure you have with those kids and with your own son, like. Also, has that opened up anything for you? Have you connected more to that emotion anyway? Because I don't think I've thought about it on that side of the equation, if it's mattered. Like being around that anger has made me angrier kind no, of thing? Not angrier, more like available to the emotion because you okay. see it in its purer sense. 
Well, I think, I think what, when it comes to the emotions of like anger, sadness, frustration, when you see, I think what I've, I made up a lot of stories in my mind, in my life of how the world works when I was a kid Mm. that was detrimental. Okay. And it came from bad things happening and the way that the, the, that the adults in my life handled it or the church or the institution handled it mm. that formed how I view everything. And it, it was, it could be from a simple thing of like, like you're saying, not getting a cookie. So like being in that and seeing these kids handling it, I felt a, res- I felt more of a responsibility I guess, mm-hmm. to be like, okay, we're in this moment. There's two ways we can go with this. Whatever happens, you know, they're going to remember this forever. How do I want them to remember this? Like, do I want them to remember, like, them not getting a cookie and saying, like, tough luck, you don't get what you want all the time? Or having a moment with them and understanding, like, because very rarely when these kids are upset at school, or when we're upset, it's never about what's happening. Mm. There's 15 other things that happened that got them to this point. Um, I think... Ooh, it doesn't that sound like being an adult. It is, It is right? <laughs> like, it's made me, in, in knowing that, so yeah, I'm trying to, I try to be, I tried to be a guide more with the kids mm-hmm. of like, yeah, like be sad. I, I never stopped a kid from like, I don't think I did. Like, I'd let them cry. I'd let them scream. i let them yell. I was never scared of that stuff. I've mm-hmm. never been scared of emotions because people always told me to shut up. Yeah. Or people told me, like, you can't feel what you're feeling being a guy or stuff like that. And that's <clears throat> that's a whole conversation there, too. But, like, yeah. I don't know. I just never wanted them to feel like they had to, like, close in what they're feeling. Yeah. And so that put me in places that I didn't want to be. For instance, like, it just got me too close. You know, and when you're around that kind of stuff for too long, it, it just kind of, you, you can't get too close to that kind of stuff because they're not, when you're a teacher, they're not your kids. Mm. They're, you know, you can love them and be there for them. But I, I had a hard time, like, I kind of put myself out there too much. Um but I do think that what happens sometimes is on the positive side, being around all of that silliness and the goofiness and stuff like that, I, I got kind of the Peter Pan syndrome mm. where it's like I was not wanting to grow up, uh. you know, because you're around kids. I mean, I worked with the youth at my church for a number of years. I was a summer camp counselor, so I'm constantly oh, just... Yes, you were a summer camp counselor too? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm. Best job I ever had. Did you do a sleepaway camp or a yep, day camp? sleepaway camp. Oh, man, I never got to do it at a sleepaway camp. I still may want to do it as an older, like, one of these days. Yeah. I um, loved sleepaway camp when I was a kid, and I did day camps when I was, like, in high school uh-huh. and when I started college. Yeah. I loved that job. Yeah, our church had a camp, and I went girl, I went to it from, like, 10 until, or this is, like, 8 or 9 until I was, like, too old and then i got to transition to be a counselor and i did it volunteer basis where you'd go for a week and then i got to be full-time for four years cool. and did that but but you just this like was in georgia somewhere yeah it was mountains? in georgia it was yeah. called the swamp the swamp, swamp camp uh-huh it was uh it's it's so not the mountains the swamp no it was the swamp okay. yeah it it i attribute that to one of the reasons why i'm like a sane individual is that place but anyway 
Summer camp's got powerful energy, man. I would talk about it does. that for another hour. And this, like, I've thought about a lot about that and the significance that that's had for me, particularly uh-huh. around an experience of community mm-hmm. and inclusion. Well, I think just to book in what you were saying, I found that I had to, I didn't want to turn off the faucet of joy for myself. And I want to do and be, do things that are fun, live my life because you're only getting this one life. I've learned that from the kids, like have Mm. fun, be joyful, do stuff just because you're an adult doesn't mean you can't have fun just because you're an adult or you're a dad or you're a mom doesn't mean you can go do you don't that you can't do these rad things whatever you want to do go do it who cares like you want to go to a concert go to a concert you want to learn how to surf learn how to surf you want to do whatever it is that brings you joy and happiness go do it there's no one stopping you except yourself and i also had to calm it down (laughs) because you know i spend most of my days being silly Hmm. you know yeah i so i've been this has been the reason i thought about that you know the Mm four-year-old threshold one of the the hardest things about being a dad for me especially of young children Mm -hmm. has been the lack of routine and um, i really like routine Mm -hmm. i thrive with routine and particularly around a morning routine yeah and we Part of it was our kids, you know, part of it was living in a, a smaller apartment in the city. But, you know, you wake up at I, with best intentions, you know, at 530 or 6 to just get some time to myself after a day of work and, you know, being with my family and just to get some quiet time in the morning and invariably would just wake up a kid. Yep. And they would wander out and <laughs> I was laughing with my wife this morning be like, we're now both awake at 5.30 and it's miserable. And we could have both just been asleep till seven and it would have been fine. But because I decided to wake up early, you decided to wake up early. And that really, uh, that time really exhausted me, really hard for me. Yeah. And I'm starting to emerge out of that time where now my kids can sleep and I can reliably wake up at a time or get some time away or I don't feel like it's gonna stress out my wife to have the kids around just by herself too much um and i've been thinking about this idea of of grown-ups finding their joy uh, especially parents and saying like what is the thing that's going to give you life because i meet so many dads uh-huh. increasingly i mean i don't know if this is generationally or just for the people i hang out with but they um they care a lot about being good dads uh-huh. and they invest a lot of energy and time and I don't know if it's just tropes from back in the day, but it there are tropes of men just getting jobs and then like essentially checking out when they get home, you know, and that's like the, the role of the man in the house or the dad. And I'm really excited to see that so many dads checked in right now and like uh-huh. really trying and wanting to be. But I do also see that that can be um, absorbing. And mm-hmm. there's deep joy in being a dad. I don't want to say like there's, there is, but there's also a lot of responsibility there. And there's other zones where I want to see like dads thriving and their creativity uh-huh. and their enjoyment of life. Cause I see that I've suppressed that in some ways for myself and I would love for them to be, I want, I want for me to have areas where I'm thriving and bring that back to my kids mm-hmm. and bring that back to my wife. 
Um, and I feel like that door is just starting to open again for me now. So I'm, I'm living in an exciting part of life. I'm starting to feel yeah. the availability of that uh -huh. again and to live into some of that joy, like you're saying. It's, like, it's there. Yeah, I think, I think that... I think every dad wants to be a good dad. Yeah. The water's for you. Yeah, yeah I got that for you. Um, I think there is there is also generational stuff from like, we do what we do because it was done before, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. That's how we do things. And I think for our, our parents and, and their parents, there was like the generation – like what you would do is like, you know, if you're a dad, you're a provider and a protector. That's what you are. Right. That's your role. Do that. So I think we saw them checking out because, I mean, you have to think about, I mean, I think about my dad seeing my grandfather, you know, just coming home and wondering about, because my grandfather was in the war. Mm -hmm. And like, I wonder if he saw anything from my grandfather and just what they had like, because they didn't know how to process that. That, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And so there, but but I think what what I'm seeing in the books that I'm reading and the research I'm doing is these men in that time was like, no, I'm being a provider, a protector. I'm doing my best. That's all. Yeah. Everything else is for. And you know, it was it was very like binary in the sense that like the wife did that, I do this. I'm doing my job, and they got fulfillment from that. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to now, it's like, that's definitely not, I don't know if we know what it means to be a good dad. And then we're thinking about that, right? Like, how, am I being a good dad? That's, that's the goal. Everything else is like, whatever, my needs, my wants, yeah. my desires need to be put on a shelf. Yeah. But I think for me, what I'm noticing and what I notice and why I do this and talk about this and, and speak on this platform is because when I'm giving to myself, I can in turn give to them, you know, and, and yeah. like, it's hard as a parent to do that. It's fucking hard mm. to find time as your kids are growing and your kids are around, but, but I have to carve it out. Yeah, I had a, like leaning into this a little bit, I had a really interesting experience this summer about essentially parenting myself. Yeah. And that idea of like, how do I, how would I want to be parented in this situation? How should I parent my kids? Uh -huh. And there's a lot of this self-care that it comes into being a good parent and, and learning what is going to bring you joy, what is going to bring you safety, what is going to bring you calm. Mm -hmm. Um so thank you for doing these conversations because that is like when you asked me that or sent me that question, I was like, yeah, what, what do you know? What is it? What is the role of a father? Like, or what is it for me? It's like, I just got to be the best I can be of myself. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. what it is for me to be a good dad. Or that's my role as a dad is to be literally the best Chris I can be. Yeah. And to live into that in a deep, deep way. That's what I want. My kitty is the best version of me. Uh -huh. And then I will inhabit the role of a father in that way uh, and that's the work that i got to do and i what you said reminded me my my wife was in a car accident this summer uh -huh. and it was she's she was fine but it was a serious enough car accident that you know the police were called and our car was totaled and the car accident just happened to happen one block away from the summer camp where my daughter was 
And so my wife calls me and she was in shock and I was, she's like, you got to go pick up the kids and I've got an electric bike and I, so I went and picked them up and I was kind of, the blood was, was coursing through and I picked up my, my four-year-old and I went and got my eight-year-old and I realized for us to go home, my wife told me like, you don't have to come to the accident. It's going to be okay. But for us to go home, we literally had to drive past it. There was no other way except to create some sort of multi-mile circumnavigation of everything. And I, 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 I had enough presence of mind, which is not that common, but was in this moment, to say, my kids are going to see our car totaled and Amber in shock and their mom in shock. And that's going to cause them to feel a lot of things. They're going to feel a lot of things because I'm going to feel a lot of things. Yeah. And I went through that. How, how do I father myself in this? If I was my dad, how would I wanted him to talk to me about this? And then how do I want to talk to my kids to be like that dad and just bring them into a presence of mind about it? I was like, oh, that is in the, in the learning how to father our kids, we are, we are reflecting the kind of fathering that we wished we had or uh-huh. wanted to have. And we actually have this incredible opportunity to do that for ourselves Yeah. By, by just imagining it. Even if I'm not having that for my dad in the moment, I can imagine that what would I want my dad to say to me. And that's really powerful. It was like an unlock for me. I hadn't really thought about that. I can father myself. Yeah. Um, I can imagine how I would want a father to be to me in this moment. It was good. Yeah. Um, so they saw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We went past it. I just told them, I was like, listen, you're going to see your mom. Our car is going to be a wreck and mom's going to be scared. And you're going to be scared. There's no way around this. Uh-huh. There's like, you're going to feel a lot of things and then you will likely be frightened. And yeah. what you need to know is that mom is okay and she's safe. It's yeah. the only thing that matters. Mom is alive and she's safe and we're going to have dinner with her tonight. And everything else can be repaired and restored and is all material. Yeah. And But mom is fine. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing you have to keep telling yourself is mom is fine and I'm fine. And that's not changing. And they got through it. And then we went for a long ride and we got some fresh air on the yeah. bike. And that was good, you know, to clear out and then just enjoy the fresh air. But it was that the most important thing was that we're safe mm-hmm. and mom is with us and all this scary stuff is temporary. Yeah. I think it's powerful to front load your kids on things when mm. they're about to deal with something um, intense. I also, I don't shy away from saying or things from my, from my kid e- either. Cause I think I was hidden away from a lot of things and yeah. I missed out on I missed out. I think I'm stunted in some ways and and I'm kind of having to get it back. Um, but, uh, we front, (laughs) I remember this summer he, uh, he was running up some stairs to get to a water slide at a pool and he slipped and he fell and he clocked his chin (laughs) real good and had to get stitches. Yeah. And so like, it was really interesting for all of us because, I was, it, it, it took me back to when I got my stitches for the first time. It took my wife back to when she had, uh, her first injury or something like that. And yeah. it was just really wild how we were all dealing with that. And so, you know, he was really scared and he was, he was kind of crying and he, you know, cause it's like stitches. What does this mean? I don't understand it. So we just were talking to him. It was like, yeah, we're going to have to sew your chin up, man. That's just what's going to happen. And then what we did is in the waiting room is we showed him a video 
uh-huh. on YouTube of what was going to happen. What was going to happen? Yeah. Hey, so this is what it looks like, and he was just watching, and he goes, "Oh, huh, oh, okay, all right, whatever." And then he <laughs> yeah. went through it, and yeah, yeah, there was some there was some twinging, and yeah, there was some pain, but he handled that. And and I was thinking, and then the whole time I was like, "Dude, we're I kept calling us stitches, bros." Cause I was like, I got stitches and you got <laughs> stitches and that's great. And we're stitches bros and stuff like that. But I think it was powerful because I think that it took, and I think what you did with the car is it took something that could have been incredibly damaging. Mm. Uh, something as simple as stitches can be damaging if how it's dealt with, yeah. with a kid. Cause we, like I said, we developed the stories and that creates a reality for the rest of our life, but including them in the conversation as up to now hasn't failed us yeah and it's and yeah it's, he's four and a half but i think that like if we can include him more and you include them on these things but but like be honest with them yeah i mean that's that's gonna there's there's there i felt i don't know how much it's true you know it's looking back on your childhood you i wonder about how much I'm storytelling and how much was real. And you know, the, the yeah. impressions are powerful, so I have yeah. to trust the impressions at some level, but you know we're susceptible to certain things and narratives, and we hang on them. But I do have an impression that I was hidden some things uh-huh. yeah. as a kid, and that that was done out of a generosity of spirit, that like my parents like, you don't need to know. But I think there was also a little bit of a, we don't think you can handle it. And... I didn't Mm -hmm. like that feeling because all kids want to feel like they can handle it. Oh yeah. I don't like that either. I want, um, and I have noticed that kids are super resilient and they're just onboarding realities all the time. And so you're just onboarding a new, like in some ways it's just a new piece of information for them and they're doing that all the time. So just because I feel like it's much larger doesn't mean that they won't be able to get it. And so I've, I found myself leaning more into the, yeah, we're going to tell you what's going to happen. And, I'm a big, I'm a believer in visualization and thinking about like understanding what's coming uh-huh. so that I can, I can work with it rather than being overwhelmed by it. And my older daughter's, she's really high emotional energy. Yeah. And so for her, it's, it's actually a technique that I use quite a bit to help her visualize something so that she feels like she can land it. Yeah. It's not going to hit her and take her over in it. Yeah. I think that. We, being a teacher and and dealing with kids, you really understand that if you're aware of it, some people, I don't think they are, some teachers treat their kids like babies and it used to drive me up the the wall (laughs) because kids are smarter, kids are smarter than we think, kids are emotionally smarter than we think with regards to like they can understand emotions a lot better than we can Hmm. for a lot of things. I mean, we're still, you know, they're still like going to throw tantrums because they're dealing with all ego right now. And they're learning what that, you know, all of that. And they're dealing with their lizard brain more than we are. And it'll, it'll quiet down, but I don't know. I, I, Hmm. we treat them in, in a way it, it, God, it, it just frustrates me. I'm even losing words. It's just we, we treat them like they're these, like they're glass. Mm. 
and in some ways they are sure you can use you can use adults can use things in ways that can break a kid's spirit forever mm. they can also include them in conversations and treat them like a, a person and it does wonders for their soul for their heart and it, and it, it, it strengthens them in a way that I wish I was strengthened in a lot, you know, like I include my kid when I'm frustrated and angry. Yeah. I tell, I tell him why. And if, and if it's something he did, I'm like, I'm upset that this happened. And I know that you don't understand it. And I know that you didn't mean to do that. I'm still frustrated. I'm going to work through it, you know, or I'm mad that this happened in our life right now. And I'm having a really tough time with it. You know, until yeah, I, I, I love hearing that because of the. Um, that's the opportunity we have when I, you know, I'm saying like I just want to be the best person I can be. I want to model it for my kids. Uh-huh. I want them to, you know, <laughs> it's like this idea of just like normalize emotional processing. Like yeah. it's like it's okay yeah. as adults. You know, it, there's there's lines there, and I hear what you're saying. Like yeah. there is there are places mm-hmm. where it's it's not appropriate. I I need to understand my role as the adult in the relationship, and uh-huh. that's important. I take that seriously, but there's th- also this yeah. opportunity to just model how to process, how to move through things, name it out loud, uh-huh. and that's just so healthy. Yeah, I think when it comes to like where you can't say it, it's like like I lost it on my kid one day. I just lost it. It just five things were happening at once. I lost it. I yelled at him, put him in his car seat really angrily. And then I, you know, nobody talked. Mm. Then I spent time. And then I remember I, I stopped the car. I got out, opened his door and I talked to him. I was like, this is what you did. And this is how it made me feel. And I shouldn't have yelled this way. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, and I took ownership of it. In some ways I could have looked at that as like, please forgive me. Hmm. and had shame involved in it which then make the kid have power over my emotions and they're taking on something that they should have never taken on like they shouldn't have been the person that makes me feel better right for my anger and i think that's when like dynamics can shift and it can just screw with the kid's head Hmm. but like the kid my kid hearing yeah like i was mad that you did this i was mad that you did it this way and you know, I'm sorry for yelling. What can we do different next time? And then we move on. Yeah. But I think that's the power versus, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's encouraging for me because there's, I, I am a internal processor on emotional stuff and uh-huh. it, it can simmer. And I, I, it, it's encouraging me to, to think about processing it more. I've been talking to my wife uh, about my tendency to want to present things in a way that a person then will experience it in a certain way yeah rather Mm -hmm. than just saying the thing that i feel or the thing that i think and that's taking some real work because for for any number of reasons that i have yet to go back and analyze i've developed Uh a world for myself where i think about the presentation of the thing and how it's going to make somebody feel and I want them to feel a certain way. And I do a bunch of sales in my life. I've been a performer in my life. Like those are things that you think about when you're in that and it it can move into the realm of just interpersonal relationships. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. keeps me from just saying the thing. And 
I appreciate hearing that because mm-hmm. that is more where I want to be moving. It's just, I felt this way and you did that thing. I felt this way and you don't have to repair. You don't have to do anything else. It's not about guilt. It's like, I'm just owning my feeling here yeah. and being direct mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. And I think that, um, the more you hide it, the worse it gets because it's like, think about this when like, when you're around someone who's pissed off at something you've done, you know it and you can feel it. And when they're frustrated, you feel that energy, right? Yeah, of course you do. The kids feel it higher than we do, Mm. right? They, they feel it on a exponentially higher level because they're all ego. They're all lizard brain, Mm. you know, from, from, and so like, you know, I, that's when damage starts to happen when you're presenting it too much. And then these kids are just like, no, daddy just always has been this like weird tense thing that I just don't want to touch. I don't want to be around because I'm afraid he's going to explode. Cause he like, the, I, I, he just feels, you know, mm-hmm. they feel the tension, right? Yeah. So, and my kid, my kid can feel it. Your kids can feel it. They even oh, know it too. Yeah. Oh, Daddy, you stressed out. Daddy, you're upset. Daddy, you're okay. <laughs> Daddy, why'd you say that word at the at, while you're driving? <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll let you know. <laughs> I have a tell. My tell is all like go. <sighs> I just breathe out really long. I do that one too. And uh, but here's the problem. I do that when I'm thinking a thought. Oh yeah. So like yeah, it it is multi and so like I have to my kid. <laughs> my wife was like, you need to try to find a new thing when you're thinking, because <laughs> we think you're upset. But I'm I'm an internal processor too. But what happens is like I I'm like a um I'll I'll, I'll let it build because I process things slowly. Mm. Like I need space and time to process whatever it is. And sometimes it's not fast enough or it's not in a way that's like, not that it's Mm. not fast enough. Like there's just, I need to process it a little bit quicker. We don't have the time for that, but then I'll just, I can erupt in that way. And um, so that's why I'm kind of trying to like talk more through it so that it just gives people, it gives people like, little nuggets of what i'm going through so they know they they know how to act or oh, react you know a, it's a gift for the like for yeah me, it's mm-hmm. like otherwise it's and i don't want to be a person where somebody's guessing and like, all they're getting is a, a big color yeah. palette of me being upset but they're mm-hmm. guessing why like i don't want to be that kind yeah. of person so to circle back it's the reason why we need to find the things in our life that give us joy and that's why we need to care about ourselves and we need to give ourselves some time in Big whatever time. way it we this need. Is, this is some of that time. I'm finding some joy right now, man. Well, I appreciate that. I really do. Um, yeah, man, I, you don't know how to help someone until you know how to help yourself. And I learned that the hard way. Like I've just had to, I mean, I was, I mean, being a teacher, being a dad, being a teacher, being a first-time dad, and, and dealing with a, a parent dying right before your kid is born puts you in a place where you really need to figure out how to take care of yourself because mm. you just shut you off, shut you down. So Yeah, man. The, um, the image of the, the air 
the airline, you know, where it's like, I always looked at, you know, if you're a parent, you know, put your shit on first and then help your kid. And I was like, that's kind of messed up. Like, help the kid. And then the the older I got, the more I was like, yes, like, you have to be breathing. Yeah. You got to be regulated before you can be thinking about how to take care of uh-huh. it because you're going to, we're going to freak out. You know, we're just people living a life. Like, things are going to go haywire and getting under control, getting regulation and, um, because kids are also relying on you to be able to deliver the goods for them. God, it's so much fucking pressure, though. <laughs> God, I feel man. it too, man. You feel, and that's why we can't. Like, that's why we shut off. That's why we check out. But like, we don't have mm. the tools. And I, 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 I I'm gonna say men specifically don't have the tools to navigate through this. That's why we shut off, shut down. Mm. You know. And I think that's kind of why. I want to keep talking about this kind of stuff and I'm glad we are. Yeah. I think the wisdom's there, man. I think we, we are, many of us are living in spaces where we're not getting a lot of the releases that men Uh would have commonly enjoyed or felt were normal. And I, Mm -hmm. I, I work from home and I work online and my day is very not physical and I feel this isn't, women need their physical time too it's not about that but i do know how much it matters for me to get physical release in my day physical Mm -hmm. movement and if i don't get it then i'm like but that was a very natural thing i think for most men in history like jobs were just more manual hunting was happening and building things and i just as a knowledge economy worker the wisdom is there. It was just done. It was just the normal thing that was done. And actually, I have to go back and reclaim it. Yeah. Say, like, if I, I have to apply that to my life or else I'm going to be frenzied and not doing that stuff. Yeah, we're a product of everything that came before us. And I think there's things that have been handed down biologically in our genes, in everything transmitted through our ancestors, that we have a desire to do something physical. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I like to think it's like, I got to find my wild, you know, because for, for thousands of years we were in the wild. (laughs) You know what I mean? I I feel like it's just midlife crisis, but I think it's real. I think the, I think it's full life crisis for those of us who grow up in the suburbs and the cities. Young boys need to find it. We need to find it. We have to find something that gives us, that gets that energy that taps into that because Mm -hmm. it makes us crazy. And so like, I've just been so deep into this stuff. I mean, I I figure out, I've just been trying to figure out what that means for me. And like, when I say find your wild, I think it's just whatever it is that gets that movement, gets that energy release for you, you know? Yeah. And I think I've seen this a lot with like, um, this is really interesting at least in white american man culture at least in my generation i see older is like dancing yeah being like almost pushed out almost completely out of of white man culture um in it's not it's it's just not present it's not encouraged it's often shamed it's ridiculed um and like I, so I lived in India for a while, and I had uh-huh. I, I, I <laughs> one of the most one of the deep impressions I had there uh, was going to a party, and the party just became an, a, a big dance party. 
Yeah. And the guy, the men were the fiercest dancers and they were dancing for each other and just like jamming on the music. And I, I never seen that before. Uh-huh. I just never seen that the men were at the center of the dance party, making it happen and like sweaty and, and full body. And it was awesome. And the whole invitation was like, I need to be in on that dance party. It's like, yeah, sitting out is a problem, Chris. Like, you need to get in on this dance party. <laughs> and I just was like that. The physical release was there. The community release was there. It was really powerful to watch. And um, in some ways, I just feel like that's been so scrubbed from my experience. Yeah, it's been scrubbed and it's been sort of directed towards one thing. Like, there's one energy release for us. Mm. It's sports. Oh yeah, sports big. That's that's the that's the release that we need to do. And, oh man, but we could you know, and that's but I, I think that the yeah, ritual release of sports, and you see all this wild energy around sporting events. Like, yeah, it's really uh-huh. it's really wild. We, and I love sports, man. Yeah. I like I could geek out on this all day. I was telling you that I studied religion in college, and I wrote one of my papers on sacred spaces, mm-hmm. and it was you know just looking at the early early religious practice was about separating the sacred and the profane it was just creating sacred time and naming it and ritualizing and all that stuff and um, places that were sacred and times that were sacred and i just wrote about sports and that it is a, essentially a bunch of those same constructs about you know this is the super bowl in this vaunted stadium in miami yeah. florida uh-huh. and the greatest singer in the world you know comes from colombia and she comes and sings like it's a whole vibe just like that and it creates all that ritual energy that physical energy and yeah and you you'll listen to guys talk about teams or a game and stuff and you watch them tear up big time you know yes Uh uh-huh yeah but it's it yeah there's there is a physical there's community yeah there's Mm a a letting out yeah it's a wild it's a kind of wild it is they're kind of wild. you know mine's concerts that's my wild okay you know um I also just like to be, I don't know. That's probably the one thing that's been the wild for me. Mm-hmm. Just just releasing the energy at those shows, yeah. stuff like that. Um, do you get to wilderness? Do you like yeah, yeah. like big open spaces? I have I have a lot of space in my life. I have um, there's a cabin that we get to go to that's my my wife's family or her mom and some friends have. It's out in, you know, six hours away. It's on a little river. Mm. You know, there's deer that come up to the river. You'll see every kind of animal. It's quiet. It's peaceful. I like, I have that. I have, you know, when I go to Gwen's Island, you know, and, and we get to be at that river and be in, on a boat in the water there. We have the ba- the beach. Um, I don't like to feel closed in. Like mm. suburbs make me nervous. Mm-hmm. cities make me nervous um <laughs> i like i like to have that space that gives me sort of it calms me down to be floating in a river you know yeah. or you know where nothing else is around yeah you know i chased that for like a couple of summers i don't know if it was covid summer but i was just obsessed with finding swimming holes 
Yeah. And anywhere uh-huh. we went all summer, mm-hmm. I would peel off the side of the road and like look at Amber and say like, there's a river there. It looks like I could get underwater yeah. and like run over and just go jump it and then jump back in the car. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to be underwater and wanted, it uh-huh. was my wild that summer. I just wanted that. I still love those. those I love lands. creeks and rivers and tr- I call it tromping. Tromping. Tromping through a river. When I, uh, when I worked with the youth at my church, um, I think there's the kids were definitely different after me because there were a lot of kids that were just kids. And then like after I was involved with them, all of them were spending time at creeks and rivers. They were all tie dyeing shirts and they were all shopping at thrift stores. Some good work there, Roy. But like (laughs) tromping down a river and like jumping in a swimming hole, tubing, um, just being in in that there's something about it that has i've i've chased that probably my whole life i loved it i love climbing on rocks and jumping in the river um at this one river by our cabin there's a rock slide that we can tube down and there's some swimming holes you can swim and i don't know there's just a there's something very beautiful about being i don't know what it is about a river i don't like lakes (laughs) I like rivers more than lakes freak me out more than I've anything. I've heard that before that there's something about like it's the stillness or the containedness of a river is is moving. I think yeah. really, there's good energy in a river. Uh-huh. Right? There's like my favorite one of my favorite things to do beside the rock slide is there's this to get up in the morning we walk down the cabin to to the there's it's actually called the swimming hole and it's like I mean, it's cold water, and just to do a quick cold plunge for three minutes, and you're just like, you're looking up, and there's just nothing. There's just sky, and there's trees, and and what's really cool is sometimes, you know, each summer you'll see the bald eagle that lives near there, and that'll fly over. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, one one time we were there, and we were I took some mushroom chocolates and tube down the river. And right as we were starting our tube, I looked up and the bald eagle flew over us. Right. It was such a magical trip. <laughs> but yeah, like Maybe. doing like doing stuff like that is my wild. Um, yeah. Running. Where, where do you um, where do you land with like my one question I mull over is how much of that should be in my total life what do you mean close to wild in wild more like it so i had a friend we lived in dc together for a long time and he moved out to montana and he moved there with his wife she's from montana and he said i really want to raise my kids Uh uh-huh out near the wild like i want them to be out back out into a forest out into a mountain yeah and that's what i hope for them that's what i want for them and he was just clear-minded about that he's got a little kid now and that's what they've got and i've thought about that for myself like i i i long for tastes of the wild and sometimes i wonder if it's i'm missing i'm in reverse like i should be coming to the city infrequently and should be living in the wild for the most part (laughs) yeah we always think that like we should be that i think like it's Mm -hmm. it's like when you see instagram and it's like there'll be a page dedicated to these this family that like sold everything and they like live in a van and they they 
crisscross across America, yeah. you know, and, and, and we think that is what we should be doing. Or we see like the guys that are like, you know, they're running the, these ultra marathons. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing with guys now, you know, those 50 kilometer races and we get obsessed with that's their, that it's they're them finding their wild. They're finding their <laughs> wild, but then they're doing that. And to like, so like we think, or like, um, the minimalist approach. Remember those guys, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we need to be doing. I think really what you need to be doing is whatever is right for you. Mm-hmm. If, if being outside is important to you, then find ways to be outside. Yeah. You know, it's like what you did with your, your kids. I'd love for you to tell, like you, you decided you and your wife decided to live in Oaxaca yeah. for a period of time. Like, why did you want to do that? Why was it important to you guys to do that? Yeah, that was great. We've been we've been living and thinking about a mantra sort of recently, just saying life on purpose to each uh-huh. other and saying like, let's make decisions about yeah. the life that we want to be living and just go do it. That was that was a longer story because my wife and I both worked in international development when we met uh-huh. and we got married and we thought we were going to be living abroad and that was going to be our story and we were just going to hit the road and be out there because that's how we had spent most of our 20s mm-hmm. and went up to dc my wife did grad school there and then she fell in love with the local economy local food systems local makers and said you know i want to do that here in dc and started living into the local food system there farmers markets um, and and just started being a presence in that scene and loved it and and continues to love it but that set us on a track of being in dc and then we were in DC for five years, and then I got a job up in up towards New York, and then we were there for another five years. So I'm like, we've been not living abroad for ten years, and we yeah. thought this was going to be the a part of our story. And and we were reaching the end of a certain chapter in Jersey City, where uh, we we both felt clear that we needed to move, and we didn't know where. We just felt like we got to get out of here. And sometimes that's just the issue. I'd be like, I got to move. I don't know where. And we just took a step back and I was working virtually and Amber wasn't tied to a specific piece of work anywhere. We said, this could be the moment to just go take a trip. And uh, we had both been to Oaxaca previously and Oaxaca is just this incredible city in Mexico. It's a small city in the south of Mexico and what I think a lot of people just call like the beating heart of the artisan food life of Mexico. if you're out there and you haven't been like go visit and go taste that you know have a taste because it's an incredible place and uh we thought that could be the place we had friends who lived down there and i called them up and said you know would you would you think it would like could we do this could we make this work for like six months and they said just come on down like yes we'll we'll be here and we can help find an apartment for you guys and you'll figure out a life for yourself you know for those six months and stay for as long as you want it's such an invitation to us yeah and Amber and I just got that feeling we should, we should jump. And we did. And it was, it sort of felt like that moment, Roy, because it was like, people looked at us like we were doing the thing that was in uh-huh. the Instagram reel. And just to pause, people are going to hear this and they're going to think, oh yeah, I need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But <laughs> so go live your wild hour. No, but keep to. going. So you're you're in Oaxaca. But it, it, and it was it's it may be out there for you, and it's possible. So let me say that if you need to hear that day, yeah. like uh-huh. it was, and we just 
it started to come together. The confluence was there, and we went and had an uh, an absolutely incredible experience. You know, an experience of a lifetime. And and speaking of being a dad, you know, like going on adventure with your kids, like that is deep in my genes. Uh-huh. Like my dad is an adventure. His dad was an adventure, and it was like. I always felt like I was living out deep in my genes yeah. level of fatherhood doing that. And it also put us on this really cool equal footing with our kids because we were all completely out of our comfort zones. And so my kids would look at me like, you know, for answers. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. like, hey, I'm just as incom- uncomfortable like, as you are and there's listen, nothing we kid, can do. Listen, kid, we are that. out there. We are out there on the edge of our experience right now. And, yeah. and maybe to round up the thought on, on in coming back to sort of a grass is always greener, you know, like yeah. uh-huh. we got to six months and we were tired and we were cooked, you know, we were done. Yeah. And we needed to come back. And it was it was because it was exhausting for us. You know, my wife and I, we don't speak Spanish particularly well. So working through really living a life mostly in Spanish was just taxing. The weather was tough. Like my daughter and I both got dengue when we were down there. You know, there was just moments where it's like, this is just really hard. Yeah. And we could use a break. And, you know, we my wife's a photographer. She posted like you know, the photos of the dreams, you know, the mm-hmm. dream photos. And there really were those dream moments. And there was also a lot of behind the scenes where it was like, yeah, it's, this is, this is tough. And we just got, we got tired. And that was, that was all well and good to also realize and say, you know, the adventures, you know, can come to an end for now. Yeah. I think that's awesome that you did that. And I hope what gets heard is the fact of like what I was saying, like, you're just doing what was true for you guys. And you took a chance that you knew you could take the chance on. Yeah. And you're just living your truth. I think a lot of us feel like we're supposed to be whatever we're shown, right? Mm. Like that's the way to do it. But really the only way, the only should you be, the only should in your life should be for you and what's true for you and your family. And the decisions that you make should all come from a place of like, you know, what is it that we want? Yeah. How do we want to live? Yeah. What's, I'll, what's... I'll tell you what, like I had that, that trip was like life. I felt so much life, particularly uh-huh. at the beginning. Cause I traveled a lot when I was in my twenties and I woke up a lot of days in different countries and I felt in a really amazing way. Like I was reconnecting with a younger version of myself. And nice. that was wild. I, yeah. I didn't, I guess I'm just old enough now. I'm 42 now. So I was like, to be able to look at myself when I was 22 and be like, I am experiencing that guy again. Yeah. I'm feeling the energy of that man, that 22 year old man in my 42 year old man experience. And it was really, that was incredible. And I think that comes from, to your point, living into the deepness of the truth or the, mm-hmm. the desire. Yeah. And who cares what anybody else is doing? Who cares how people do it? I mean, not like in oh, that. That's hard, not, man. Not in that negative way, but I'm just yeah. saying, like, it's you guys against the world. When you really think about it, you know. I don't think about it. Well, I, I hear what you're so my buddy, what you're my saying. buddy, my buddy said that one time to me. I'm not going to mention his name because he says that on numerous podcasts he gets mentioned from a quote, and he's going to start charging me or something like that. He, but yeah, he said it. He goes, I, I mean, I look at my life as like it's me. And my wife against the world, 
you know, and me and my wife and the kids. So mm. that's what's important. And, you know, I, and I know you could, you could, there's ways to look at that, but, but, but what I'm trying to say is it's like, it's, it's me, it's my wife, it's my kid. What do we want to be, how do we want this to, to work and to be? Yeah. And then, yeah, there could be things we could learn from everybody else, but at the, you know, when the rubber meets the road, it's us. Yeah, I would pick a lot of nits with that point of view, but I also completely agree that, like, this is where you're operating mm-hmm. in your day, and you've you've chosen a partner, you've created kids, yeah. and, like, that is really the close-knit community you're walking, the closest-knit. I think the, the things I pick nits with are often, like, that feels like a very American oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. point sure. of view of like, it's like this sort of our own thing. But I think there's also reality there. Like at the end of the day, yeah, uh-huh. I gotta, I gotta be responsible to this, like first and foremost. Yeah. And this is our opportunity to, to create and make a life. And I was thinking about that again. This is like, I love these questions. Roy. Thank you for writing this. Bless, <laughs> bless all the men, the fathers in this world with these questions. And I wish every dad had an hour. To say <laughs> um, but there was, uh, you know, one of them was about, you know, what do you have from your dad? Like, yeah. What do you kind of like taken from that experience of having a dad? And I mean, first of all, I would say I'm so grateful to have had a dad. I, like, yeah. I, my, I have an extraordinary dad and, he's been there for me um and he's wanted to be a dad and like yeah that doesn't that, i think that probably puts me in a minority of men mm-hmm. um to be able to look up to a dad who i like respect and has been with me for a very long time so thanks dad and thanks god for that um but one thing he did was just like he was a maker of experiences and i thought that was like this is fucking cool like yeah. my dad would imagine something could be and then he'd go and make it He's, really? an, he's an entrepreneur, um, and so he wasn't making things. He didn't spend a lot of time making, like, here's your new set of drawers. Or he, I mean, he actually has built some things, but um, it was more like, hey, I want to I wanna go on a six-week road trip with my family. Like, I'm going to make that experience happen. Or um, I want more bonding time with my kids. Like, I'm going to start a father-son retreat at my church. I'm going to make that happen, and, like, just do it. And that was energy he passed on to me that I like, I have loved. It's just like, just go make it happen. If you think it, it's a good idea and it would mean something to you and it will probably mean something to somebody else, like just make it. It's like you making a podcast. Like, yeah. Just make it. And not everyone gets handed that energy or that model. And that's a lot of that. Oaxaca trip for us was like, just go make it. You know, don't take the energy you've got and, and run with it and, and, create and i andrew and i talk my brother and i talk it's like this there's this old idea is like criticized by creating you know just yeah. everything everything if oh. you if you like tear something down in your mind like your response criticizing is easy it's cheap it's useless for the most part mm-hmm. to create to channel that into creative energy and to make something you know that's that whole idea of like you know start a band yeah <laughs> say what you want to say like <laughs> Make it happen. I'm writing it down. That's a good one. Criticized by creating. Yeah, I um. You keep talking. You were mentioning this feeling of alive, and so like, I felt alive the moment I left Georgia. 
Mm. When was that? 2013. Okay. I lived there my whole life. Everything I knew, every way of thinking, every process, it was all in Georgia. Okay. And there's something in me that always felt... I hated people. I hated watching things where it's like, or being told like, no, you're just going to do this and then you're going to do this and you're going to do this. Like, you know, you're just, you know, you just get married, you have kids and then that's it. Or or like you get a job, just those kind of like that kind of way of thinking always bothered me. Mm. I was always, I was a terrible student for, for any, for that. Cause people would just say, no, you just listen to me that you do this because that's what you need to do. And I'm just like, huh? Like, no, it doesn't make sense. But the moment that, so like I was always at odds because like for, for the system, the church system I was in, it was like, no, you have to do it this way. This is the answer. This way is the answer. The way we do it, how we do it, this place, it's the answer. And I'm just like, why, 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 why? I don't understand, but I, I don't also like, I don't want to be on the outside because you know, it's, I didn't want to go to hell. All right. But like, so it just creates this pattern in your head. Yeah. So like, I wanted to create my life, essentially. I think my subconscious, everything about it was like, no, you can do what you can create, whatever the fuck you want to create. Like, mm-hmm. yes, it's going to be hard, you know. Yes, it's going to be challenging, but like, long term, it's going to be great. And so, like, I've been given this opportunity to create something. You know, I dropped everything and followed this girl up here you know and then i've created this life and you know as time goes on you get caught up in life and you get caught up in jobs but like i don't know man like that's a message that i think we all should be like hearing like yes you can create whatever you want to create you can create the family you want to create you can create the life that's right you can create the the father that you want to be it is up to you, and that's a lot of pressure, but it is up to you. It is, 100%. And if, but like, if you're like, I don't know, like, if it's in tune with like what is like, what is like, you know, like, I don't know, sometimes you call, I've, I've heard it called like your, uh, your heart's purpose or something like that. Mm. But if you're in line with that, I mean, you're probably going to be okay. Mm hmm. Yeah, and this is this is good because I, I, it's good to hear it, and I'm not saying it's absent in our like modern zeitgeist, but there could be so much more of like, hey man, like, let's wake each other up to who we are uh-huh. and what what fires us up. And I, one of the best pieces of fatherhood advice I remember asking a guy who's a few years older than me, I was like, what do you what's what's you want to leave your kids like what's what's the big message and he just said there's a couple things but one thing for sure is i want them to see a man on fire and i thought that was an amazing response because yeah. that idea of, of being engaged in the fullness of life uh-huh. like believing in what you're doing believing in how you are and what you're up to like i want to see a man on fire yeah yeah i want to be a man on fire for my for my wife and my kids uh-huh. frankly for everybody that's what i meant to say like i just want to be that way in life because we need people who are on fire yeah <laughs> we need a lot of people who are on fire about what they they're like looking at life every day and be like i'm getting amped because uh-huh. i'm after it 
I'm just laughing that you chose man on fire and it's a very triggering word for me. Because oh, tell I me think more. It's just one of those phrases that I would hear at church. Oh, okay. you, you always hear ah. at retreats. Oh, really? You know, like church okay. retreats. Like, I'm going to be a man on oh, fire. Oh, dude, I had no and that, idea. And that okay. meant like, oh, that guy's that guy's with the Lord. Like on fire for the Lord. On fire for the Lord. Well, okay. And it's on I did. And I, I do want to say that I heard what you were saying. Like, being mm. a man on fire is important because, like, if someone else sees it it's kind of like how like being a teacher you kind of have to be the one that's the goof the doofus first Mm. like you got to be the silly guy because if you're the silly guy or the silly girl whoever that allows that makes it okay to be silly yeah you know for the kids and the kids need to see that and so like the more people do it it kind of makes it okay for other people to do it and you know, I do say that I did feel alive, and it was also scary. I bet it was it was fucking scary to be in Oaxaca, away from everything there were for moments, times. Yeah, dude, you know? I'll tell you one story where I, I, I have never been more, like, what's the self-flagellating than, yeah. like, than I was? Because we did, we did the all-time adventure. Like, this oh. one's going to go down in the story of our family, so... Oaxaca is is up in the mountains. It's like five thousand feet up, like mile high, and then but it's not far from the coast. Yeah. So we it's spring break, and I'm like, we should go to the ocean. Like it's Mexico, man. Like most beautiful beaches, some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. Let's go to Puerto Escondido. It's a beach, you know, surfer town. Let's go down there for a week, and we'll get an Airbnb and make it happen. And so it's like. Let me just see where this is on the map. Is this far? Do we need to get a plane? And Oaxaca is pretty remote, so there's not going to be a direct flight. I don't want to go to Mexico City. You know, I can... it's like we'll drive, and then we're going to have a car. We can be down there. And I looked at the map. It's like 110 miles away. It's not bad. And so I talked to my friend, and he's like, "Yeah, no, you can definitely do it." I was like, "What do you, mean? <laughs> you can definitely do it? It's 110 miles. We'll be there in a couple hours, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, it's going to take you eight hours." I said, it's going to take eight hours to drive 110 miles. And he said, yeah, it's going to be gnarly to the most epic degree. And you can totally do it. And I've done it many times. And you shouldn't be scared away. And I remember we talked to a couple other expats down there. It's like, no way. No, don't drive there. Like, you're going to be out there. It's going to be remote. And we're like, whatever. We're going. So I rented a car and we drove. And it was great for like the first 40 miles and then we hit the sierra madre which is just a huge it's the mountain chain that runs up into the rockies yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. huge mountain chain and it's a one lane road it's you know or two lanes you know one way in each direction and it was non-stop curves the whole time non-stop curves just like yeah the road did not straighten out not once for four hours i'm it's like white knuckling it the whole time going up and down the mountain two little kids in the back like poor little wrens just like throwing up at one point I'm like what am i doing but we made it had this incredible four days out of port escondido just like yeah 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 huh? the time of our lives out there and so we're getting ready to go back and like i know what it is right we've done it. it's gonna be rough but it's possible and it's not like it's pretty remote but it's not entirely remote but Google Maps is saying you can save half an hour if you go this other way back. I'm like, oh. I'm like, you know what? Like, it'll be the same more or less, right? 
So it doesn't even start out the same, man. Like, you, like, <laughs> like the main road is clearly like you got to go down a ways, and that's where you're saving the half an hour. We were going out the back of like this neighborhood, you know, five miles north of Port Escondido. We go out the back of it. We're on a dirt road, like within ten minutes of this drive, and we're just cruising around the kind of foothills up into the mountains, and we get into a village at the foothills of the mountain. We're driving through the village, and then we get to a stop and I remember looking at my wife and we look, we hit the stop and we look ahead and there's a bridge. And this is after we've already gone through like a riverbed in our rented SUV or whatever. We hit the bridge and I look at it. I'm like thinking about it. And she's like, don't you fucking think about it any longer. <laughs> I was like, we can do it. She's like, that's a pedestrian bridge. You idiot. Like we are not going over that. That is for wagons and horses and people and not this car. You better turn this thing around right now. I was like, okay, we're turning it around, and we, you know, wow, the, but we ended up going up the mountain. Uh huh. And we're, we got to a point where we pretty much left civilization behind, and we're now on a dirt road up the mountain, and it is not even as good as the one that we came in on. And we aren't seeing any cars come any other way, zero cars come any other way. And this is when I really started to feel like I've made big mistakes with my life. Like, yeah. My wife, my two kids, and we are in. We're in part of Mexico. We're probably not even getting that far with Spanish, and we have broken Spanish. And like, we're in the indigenous towns of like uh-huh. on the mountain, and there's no cars coming the other way. We're not seeing anybody. We are like we are like squarely two hours from where we could have had help, and who knows how far from where anybody else is. And I really was losing it. I was it was and still on this windy road, you know, like back and forth. It yeah. was totally crazy, man. And I've been so, I was just scared to life. You actually wrote this question, Andy. So like, is there anything you're scared of? And I was like, the one thing I'm scared of is dying. Yeah. For my kids. And uh-huh. and I was like, There's, if something bad happened here, and I would feel like we wouldn't get the help we needed. And I've really like, this adventure has just gone way too far. And it was scary. You know, that, that trip was scary in those ways. Like we had people who were close to us, but far away from anything we knew. And... <laughs> that's part of the amazing adventure, right? Like there's no adventure mm-hmm. without fear. There's yeah. no great living into your purpose without being afraid of something. And that was great, but man, that was terrifying. We did make the top of the mountain right to finish the story. We did make the top. And what we realized was that we were left in the morning. And so had all the people from Oaxaca going the other way. It just took four hours to meet in the middle. And that's why oh. we hadn't seen anybody. They hadn't even reached the top of the mountain the other way yet. So, we all happened to sort of meet in the top of the mountain and everyone was there and we got some tacos and it was great. But man, those drive up was like super terrifying. <laughs> and that was like, that was the edge of it. And that was, you know, that was some real living. That was finding our wild. And I don't, I wouldn't recommend that to myself again. Like I learned a lesson there that there is a line that I cross in terms of my sense of safety as a dad. Like I was yeah. really, mm-hmm. I was harsh on myself in that drive, but I do love that we went and did something crazy or felt like we did something that was a real adventure for us and stretched ourselves. Yeah. I heard someone say that like being a dad is getting kids to, is getting your kids to that edge. Oh yeah. Yeah. I like they that. said that there's a part of, there's part of being a dad where you've got to get your kids to that, to that, that point. Uh, but I mean, the important part is like that you can get them back. Yeah. I wish I remembered who said that. That's good. But I've always thought about that. Like, I, you know, that's kind of cool. 
And I also think it's like age appropriate too, you know, mm. like <clears throat> what's going to be really scary for four and a half year olds going to be different than like a 20, yeah. 20 something. Did you, you have, know? did you have anything when you were, that you remember kind of being at that edge? I'm, I'm thinking particularly like coming of age, you know, 12, 13, where you felt like you were handed an experience you're like I, you hit that edge and that was good for you. This has been my edge. Yeah. Being being away from Georgia is the edge. Okay, cool. Yeah, I everything was safe essentially in Georgia. There was a family, you know, there was family, there was friends, there was familiarity. Mm. Um this is this is 100% been the edge. Um, I mean, there's been things that I've done, like, in life. Like, I think about, like, drive. We were going to, we were in Wyoming on a road trip, and we were going to a cat, some cabins, and we turned down this road. And it's, it's one of, it's just like you're saying, you turn in a road that's, doesn't seem like the road. And my <laughs> wife, who's smart and, and pinged it and knows that we're going there, and, you know, like, you're driving for an hour and a half not eight hours in Mexico, but an hour and a half in Wyoming in the middle of nowhere is still pretty scary and gotten to the edge. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and you're on the side of a mountain. Like this is like, instead of like a two lane road, it's like one and a half. Yeah. You know, so you're you're, looking out there and you're thinking about very real dangers. And then, you know, my wife looks over the edge and she's like, Oh my God, that's a long way down. And, we were fighting the whole way. Oh, God, it was oh, terrible. It was the worst. There's no way. I mean, you talk about being a lizard brain. You are, like, fully ensconced yeah. in a... Yeah, and it, it's hilarious <laughs> because it's it was one of those moments where, like... Because, you know, Wyoming was... And, and Montana were the first times in my life that I really got the idea that there's space in this world. You know? So, you, you know, I'm getting this sense that, like, there's no one that's going to be able to help me. Yeah. I mean... They'll know English, but that's about it if I can find someone. But, but you know, and, and you know, it was, it was exactly like, you know, you're saying you, you get to the top of the mountain, there's everybody. Okay, it's great. Like, after the point where we're like, we're all going to, I'm, we're all going <laughs> to die. Here it is. We just open up, and then there's this beautiful lake, and there's all these cabins, and the guy's like, hey, how's it going? Good to see you. Here's your cabin. <laughs> okay. And we were just like, oh my God. Oh, man. But, um, <laughs> no, this, this, because like coming, like leaving, the known to go into the unknown is all building. Hmm. You know, you're building your life. You're building, like I've, I've built my identity. I built my, like how the world works, you know? And it's been, I think I'm glad that I've done this because I think that's what I kind of want my kid to, to know is, you know, take a chance once in a while. Um, you know, you, yeah, it's, it's scary, but take the chance. Cause even if I, f- even if this didn't work out, this hadn't had worked out like it did, at least I went and tried something, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think that's something I, I think that I want to impart yeah. my kid, you know? Yeah. You know, I, my, my dad is a, I, I, I refer to him as a, a strategic adventurer uh-huh. and so he picks his spots and i've also like be- like learned a lot of strategy from him like that's a, that's a way he approaches the world it's like weigh up the pros and cons 
He's also a deeply spiritual person, and so he'll pray on it, weigh it up, and then, you know, go for it. And he's laid out some big time markers for me and saying, and, and, taking some shots. You know, he started a business. It's like you're doing you're doing this work now. You know, leaving something that was secure but was not giving you life with teaching. Uh-huh. And it's like that's just modeling. You know, and you'll be able to tell Jasper that story. And say like, do it. Take a swing. Go for it. Make it happen. And the reason my family is in Virginia Beach now is because they did that you know many years ago and my dad you know merged his company with another company and like made was like had a big idea what could happen down here it didn't work out but he took the big swing Uh and went for it and you know this that story and i would love to hear him tell that story to you so you should get him on here okay be like that because like it, it you know it's you have the the generosity of time to look back at something but it was super painful and it didn't deliver any of the results he thought it would and wow yet, and yet i he would never take it back my mom would never take that they thought it was a, it ends up being like one of the great decisions of their life even though none of the material things that they thought they came for happened yeah um and that's been a great i love that example like that's the model it's like you don't know like that is the uncertainty uh-huh. and you live into it because you think it's the right thing to do and you take a swing uh-huh. you go it's like getting married how'd you feel about getting married like that's taking a big swing <laughs> having a kid's taking a big swing at all i mean yeah <laughs> i've always envied people that knew they wanted to be a dad I, i've said that numerous times here but you know it was it's scary all any decision like this, any kind of commitment, any kind of stepping out into yeah. the and and I think that's why to even circle back to like finding joy is is kind of like why we we might not want to do it because it's 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 even scary to like give to ourselves, mm. you know, if we can't look at like so I think some people look at giving to ourselves as taking from the family. I know I I wrestle with that sometimes too, yeah, but I, I think what does this mean for the rest of my family or what does it mean for the, my kids and things like that? And so, but I think it's important to, to step out in there and, and I don't know. I mean, you have this wonderful thing to see or to, to, to go to, you know, as the model, as you were saying from your dad and, mm. you know, hopefully, you know, it'll be the same for my kid and stuff like that. And I don't know. So yeah, take those swings, take those chances. Yeah, it's like, I, I, what else do I want to show my kid? Like, I don't want to put them in danger. So I, I will live with a tinge of like the road to Puerto Escondido being like not a good idea. <laughs> but I just, I think, but the idea on the whole is the right one, and that's what I want them to feel. I, you know, when we talked about just wanting them to feel, this is before we got on the conversation, but to feel like they can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that would be sort of the big idea that would want to impart. Yeah. Like you uh-huh. can just do things. And enough of this world will tell you that you are small, that you should be diminished, that you can't. And yeah. you actually can just make a thing be true. Yeah, you can. You can do it. I mean, it is. It's malleable. Um, I was thinking about, like, how much danger do I want to put my kid in? Or, like, I kind of look at, like... I thought about like, what's a foot past my knowledge? 
Like, I think that distance is a good distance to be like, yeah. okay, I can take him there, you know? Like, yeah. I'm a pretty decent swimmer, so I know I can go to a certain level, but I know I don't need to go too far out, right? Yeah. Out of my comfort zone, with a little bit out of my comfort zone, you know, with swimming. Or, like, I'm, I can hike, and I can be in the wilderness, and I kind of can navigate, but I'm also never backpack. So I probably should understand that and not do something like that kind of, you know, take my kid out. But then at the same time, there's the question of like, that's where, that's where the memories are. That, and that's too. where the magic ever, happens too. I don't know I don't if you know. ever talked to anybody about making memories on this, but I, I, I really believe in making memories and that being yeah, uh-huh. important in the role of being a dad. So when you talk about like, what's one of the roles, I think like my sense of that role is I want to be a memory maker. I want to make, these things because we we have a lot we have like my experience of memories like there's big vague memories big sort of monochromatic memories and then there's these really spiked moments and you talked about telling yourself stories like we attach ourselves to these memories and this is as tale as old as time this is human to like remember the big story and tell ourselves the big story and live back into the reality of it and then it shapes how we want to be uh-huh. in this world and Oaxaca for us is one of those big stories and we'll we'll tell it and I, I I've heard memory making being described as being one foot it can't really happen unless you're one foot beyond the edge of your understanding oh for real yeah all right I just got pulled be, that one like, out of my butt you gotta be out of your comfort zone like it, it otherwise it just it sort of fades into what is normal yeah. And there's something mm-hmm. about it's it's about creating a time out of time and being uncomfortable is yeah. part of what creates that. It's mm-hmm. like when you tell the story about being on vacation and like the car breaks. And like, yeah. Even that story about Wyoming. It's the same kind of thing. It was like we were on the edge and that's why I remember that story. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, probably don't remember that much about what happened at the lake, but the drive, you know, we remember. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that drive. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's it. Yeah. And in the memory part is something I want too. Yeah. I want him to have, I want him to have memories with us and, you know, and with me and, and like, what can I do to, and it's also that you, I can get caught up in like, like every moment matters. Yeah. And that can be, that can be kind of a scary thing to be because no, I don't, it sounds bad to say like, I mean, every moment doesn't really matter, but I don't know, but it kind of does at the same point because you never know which moment's going to matter in the That's long right. run. Oh, God. Oh. That puts a lot of pressure. I feel that pressure on myself, too, because mm-hmm. I do know this stupid shit that I hold on to. Like, I heard my mom say that to me once, and a hundred other times she said something totally different. Mm-hmm. And that one time it came out like that, or my dad's in like. Yeah. And it's like a terrifying reality to walk around with as a parent. <laughs> Yeah, and and I I feel that it's like generally like healthy pressure, but sometimes uh-huh. I do get a little neurotic about it. Like, and oh. social media doesn't help with that because there's always like pages where they'll be like, just remember, when your kid says this, it really means this, and you're just like, Ugh, thanks. I feel like crap now. <laughs> like today, today's it was a busy day, and like, you know, he's saying, can you play with me? And I was like. Yeah, give me two minutes and, you know, I can play. But then I, I couldn't. And he's just staring and I'm frustrated that I can't play. And 
I was like, is this going to be that moment that he's remembering? And it's, but it's like conscious parenting. Like you say that and it's like, I'm a conscious parent. But like when you're just conscious of these things, it like adds this pressure, you know, that's hard not to get caught up in. I just, I feel like I'm, I'm a big believer in like, I mean, the search is the point, not the, the destination. Yeah. So like being a conscious parent, just being aware of it's okay. Like you're, you're doing, you're doing great. If you're just aware of what you just said yeah. and like being able to clean it up or just like thinking about it is doing so much more work than the actual doing. Yeah. You know, uh, it is the majority of the battle. Like. Yeah, I can live with myself when I've been conscious and messed it up, uh-huh. uh, or like the result is weird. But it's when I'm sleepwalking. Yeah, that mm-hmm. I just like, oh, and that is to be awake. That is so much of it, just to continually come back to being present to what is happening mm-hmm. and and not living out of habituation. There's so much that just draws us to living out of habit, to whatever narrative, to whatever model. And, and the other thing about like people say it all the time, but like I have experienced to be such a true thing is that parenting is so tiring. It is. It is, it is really, really an exhausting experience to be a parent. And so we know what happens to people, literally just biological humans Uh under, under degrees of being tired. Yeah. And so, especially when you have like little kids who don't sleep, but even like, you know, having a full day of work, being in lots of relationships, all of these things, you know, we just get worn out and it is so easy and it's desirous to like want to go to sleep and have that uh moment where it's like, I just, I'm switching off the light. Please don't make me parent for 45 minutes. (laughs) Like don't come in the room. I can't do it for you right now. I can't. I just need this. I need to find my joy. I got to find, or at least whatever non- thing and I, I laugh with amber about this all the time because she oh, just like needing the space you know just to not be and i work at home and so my kids are like I, they, I feel like they're always pouring into the house at some point and so my transition rate between work and home life is uh-huh. nil in fact sometimes home life is already walking into the room to interrupt like my last zoom call today i'm like oh so finding that space is it's important to find that space yeah this is some of that space so thanks again for it's me oh at any time it's interesting how like how much i crave dark silence you know i was thinking about that this morning do you like no like make the room dark no like it's like i laid in bed for 15 minutes because (sighs) nobody was talking and nobody was moving and there was no stimulation like my alarm went off and and it was just like no i need to just just this quiet dark silence oh, it sounds where, so good tell me about it yeah we're like <laughs> you know and it's but then like it's almost like if you talk about it then people want to judge you because you're like no parenting is the biggest joy of my life and it is the biggest joy of my life it is amazing and it's wonderful and it is hard and tiring yeah. and it's fielding a thousand questions and i thought i was prepared for it being a teacher because all i do is answer questions but no it's not it's totally different yeah you probably got like that false confidence coming into you like (laughs) yeah i had a lot of 
I had a lot of false confidence when it came to like, no, I don't need to read books. I don't need to study this. I don't need to think about it. Yeah. But well, when, I tell you, my, my wake up call on false confidence came, uh, you know, when we you were asking about birth stories. So, so Mirabai, she's born in D.C. Mm-hmm. And she was born the day that Pope Francis came. Okay. And Oh, God. Yeah, it was it was epic, and we the whole city it was like Pope Francis was relatively new at this point. This is twenty fifteen, yeah. and he's quite a phenomenon still. And it's yeah. his first uh-huh. trip to America, and he's coming to the big basilica. And we are having the birth at the hospital, like right near the basilica, and we're driving up North Capitol in DC. And it's completely shut down except for northbound traffic because all southbound traffic is going to be the pope so there's just for miles it's cleared out and the basilica he's giving mass at the basilica we're driving to the hospital and he's about to release out and he's going to drive down north capitol in the other direction so it's this very strange thing at the at rush hour in dc there's nobody on north capitol and we're just sort of easing our way nicely to the to the hospital we have a was just like was a great great birth I actually got to like catch Mirabai at this re- wild moment. We were working with the midwifery there at the hospital uh-huh. and, and you know, Amber just was amazing in labor and just, that was just an experience to behold, like to be with my wife and that. Uh-huh. Um, but we're sitting there with the, the doctor and the midwife and the, like Mirabai is about to come out and she's like, okay, so you can catch the baby. And I was like, I said, what? She's like, put your hands out. And I put my hands out and literally <laughs> the baby falls out. <laughs> Mirabai lands in my hand like, oh, oh my gosh. And, you know, that's a uh, that was that was incredible. Frankly, it was just like incredible. I was totally overwhelmed in my experience, not to mention sensationally. I had not felt those those things before, like the, the liquids that come around a baby are just sort of of unique quality. So, uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, the uh, I'm just like kind of shaking out. And I'm like, I just thought I was gonna drop her. Like she is slippery and sliding around and crying. And I'm like, please God, you know, midwife, help the help. liquids. Yeah, yeah, this is real. Um, and so we ended up. Uh, it, baby was healthy. You know, we we named her. Uh, we actually gave her the name Francis um, as a middle name to to just be a sort of tip of the cap to, to wow. that day. Um, but man, that was just a, so like you had no traffic. You just like, were just, we cruising. just flew through. Like I, it was wild. We were in a mini Cooper. I think the funniest story coming out of that, we had a mini Cooper in DC, great DC car, mini Cooper, two door. Yeah. But we had this hilarious out, out on the way out. We were there for a couple of days and, I was not one of those prepared dads who was like, I got the gear and I got the car seat. I wasn't like, I wasn't onboarded though. I don't know. I just hadn't put it all together. So I'm still sort of figuring out the car seat as we're leaving the hospital. And we have the Mini Cooper. It's tiny. This is a tiny oh, car. You God. know a Mini Cooper. Yeah. It's like tiny. You're, you're a bigger guy than me. Like, you know, the Mini Cooper is like tight. And it's good. It's an amazing car for two young people who are married. It's not an amazing family car. So no, sorry, yeah. Mini Cooper. That's why you probably made your extended cab or whatever. But the um, I'm like fidgeting for 10 minutes. And the whole time there's like an orderly right out there outside the hospital just smoking a cigarette, just watching me fuss with this car seat. And I'm like retching it in and out. I'm like, and I finally 
get out. And I'm like, Amber, it's it's done. We can get her in. And then I was like, gotta get her in. And then, then there's Amber. And I finally close the door to get Amber. And I'm like, I did it. And I look over at the orderly and he's still smoking his cigarette. And he goes, I give you one week to the minivan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it's so so good. How long till you got a? How long till you? We got, got we did. We got a Honda Fit. Oh uh, yeah. A month later, it was a month. I should I should tell him. Yeah. <laughs> so good, man. Sometimes this is like you know those times when you actually want to be seen in your moment yeah, of ridiculousness, uh-huh. and you're like, I just I hope somebody could see me being ridiculous. Oh we yeah that's oh man. I, I watched YouTube videos. Mm. My wife made me watch YouTube videos on like how to like put the car seat in the car, how to put the kid in the car seat. Yeah. Yeah. Better to be prepared. Better to be prepared. The reason I, I brought up that story was to like actually lead up to the point of, of just being overwhelmed about being a dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how it changed everything. And I remember calling my mom and I called my mom to tell her that her granddaughter had been born. And the first thing I said out of my mouth was, I'm sorry. And that was all I could say. I just said, Mom, I'm so sorry. <laughs> she probably was. <laughs> and, and I don't even remember how she reacted. And she Why'd said, you tell, say you're sorry? I, I felt the enormity of being a, a parent. Oh, it, okay. It, like it I get just it. Yeah. that's just how it came out for me. It was like this. It was, I was like verbal, you know, yeah. visual okay. onboarding. Just like let it out. And just you were like, understanding what she had gone through, what, what it, it was took, like for her, like, why, like all of the fear, all of the insanity, all of the tiredness and exhaustion. You know, the cost of it, all of it. Yeah, it just came crashing down in that moment, and like. What you gave is like I'm just beginning to appreciate. I like I, I feel I have the first idea of how to calculate that, and it is completely overwhelming. And you're just yeah, I I remember feeling feeling that. Um, we went on a trip this summer. We were gonna go down to the Outer Banks and just have this a, a chill. Just we're gonna go down for the day, hang out, go to the beach, blah blah blah. Everything's gonna be great, and. <laughs> We get, as soon as we get into like over the big bridge, we, we go through Nags Head over the big bridge, kid throws up. Oh, yeah. And like, that was one of like four times he threw up during that whole trip, mm. you know, and then he's, <laughs> he doesn't want to do anything we want to do because he's sick and uncomfortable. Yeah. And I remember thinking about all the times and I'm getting so frustrated because we you know we got up at five to cruise down oh yeah you did all the right things yeah the plan was good plan was solid oh my gosh and then it's like oh then it's we get to this when we finally get to the beach part that we wanted to get to and i got insecure because i didn't like deflate the tires we're gonna go to the off-road beach but i didn't deflate them and i didn't want to stop and we're at this other beach and he doesn't want to get out and I'm just losing it. And I remember being like, in that moment, being like, oh, my God, I'm my dad. This is what my dad went through. Oh, my yeah. God. And, like, I'm thinking about that, too. And I'm like, thank God there's only one of them, not three of them. <laughs> but, like, 
You know, it's just, it's such a wild, like. It's powerful full circle stuff. Yeah, I've uh-huh. really appreciated that about being a parent. Uh-huh. Is that I, I, I just, I have a, like a newfound respect uh-huh. and love and appreciation and frankly, knowledge of my own parents. Yeah. Um, which, which has been really life giving in our relationship. That's good. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that this, the full circle moments, oh my gosh. Those are, there are many. <laughs> yeah, there and they're gonna be many. Like you're always gonna have those. I, I you know, you're gonna have them when you're a grandparent. You know, you're gonna have them every year. I mean, I it's like, um, I mean, I had them as a teacher, mm. doing the things that like the teachers did for me, and it, yeah. it's just, and then you get it, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm there. Oh, but it's good, you know, and. It's good. If if you choose to let it be good, like you know, understanding the weight of things and like that kind of stuff, and or just laughing at it if it's the silly stuff. Oh yeah. Cool. Well, the amount of silliness that I recreate just because I was handed it. Like, <laughs> that keeps coming down. It keeps um, coming down. So, like, you studied. There's something I, I want to talk about with regards to. Like, I mean, you study religion. Your father, you know, is the started to help start this church yeah. right you know how important is is religion and god to you and your parenting and like how do you view like how do you see yourself wanting to integrate that into you know your kids lives or if you want to mm. i know um that wasn't a list that i gave you but yeah oh, i love that question I guess I could say for me, like I have a lot of the things I don't want to do, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't want it to be oppressive. I don't want it to be like this very strict binary dualistic approach to life. You know, it's either yeah. this or that in or out like that kind of thing. And yeah, um, mm. I hit you with it. I know. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I could really I could spend some time with that question. The um, well, has it been easy or hard? to like do that now or is it's it a, it's it's been i have a personal uh, spiritual life that that i work at that's uh-huh. important to me so at a minimum i want them to know that's true for me so i want them to know that i that i believe and that i practice uh towards that in that, that that's, yeah. a, that's a piece of life work that's important to me that gives uh-huh. that is that is worthy of time and really deep energy and then i want them to to really understand and appreciate that there is something much greater than themselves mm. and that that is that is worthy of great respect and 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 consideration and that that is generally a force of great love and creativity like that is out there and it's happening in this world and i want them to start to approach that and experience that and they can talk about that yeah and that i want to give them some handlebars for that too and that's where i've actually found religion to be quite useful uh-huh. um, is that it allows you to point at things um, using stories uh, that are really helpful and they can be abused and in all kinds of way. And we know that story. And I know you know that story. But there's also really beautiful 
important narratives that can come out of the scriptures. Yeah. And so I want them to experience those things and I want them to know those, those stories so they can understand ideas like forgiveness. They can understand ideas like hospitality and faithfulness. And those don't have to be contained and aren't only available in scriptures and in stories, but I want them to be in communities that are talking about that and, and understanding that. So I want them I want them to be exposed to my faith. I, I'm a Christian. I want them to be exposed to those the Christian tradition. And I also do that with a really open-handed approach, which is to yeah. say, here's something that means a lot to me. If it ends up meaning not a lot to you, that's fine. But I want you to know that I'm I'm believing and you can believe whatever you want. But I want you to like in a sense have some handlebars in this world and start navigating around these bigger ideas. Um because I would say that's probably my biggest criticism of a lot of modern spirituality or non anything is like, well, what are we creating? Like what yeah. what story are we telling if we're not telling some of these much deeper eternal stories? Um is it just the gospel of comfort and, and a house, you know, the American story, the American gospel, which is like, it's just short on real big ideas. Yeah. And I want to make sure that they're grappling with some of those big ideas. And if they end up tearing it down, like, that's great. That's what I had to do to my, what my parents gave me, but I'm glad they gave me something to tear down. Yeah. I and like it. Yeah. Then I could rebuild as I needed to, or I wanted to. Yeah. I think I like that you're using the word handlebars. I like, I look a lot of it as like, um, I don't have all the answers and I like the idea of using the stories and this narrative and, and giving, giving him a, I don't know. I felt like it was easier for me to tear down the traditions that I've learned and rebuild versus coming from a place of not of this like giant, like space of of spirituality and just trying to build out of that mm-hmm. i don't know having a framework and, and something to to build off of and to use or lose made it so much easier and, and i kind of want that for for him as well you know and yeah it, it's because like <laughs> we could spend all that what is god what is spirituality what is this whole thing and like to be like to think of like an adult trying to figure this all out with having no history yeah i mean that sounds like a daunting task you know yeah. like <laughs> yeah it, trying to figure out what god is at, at like 42 and like never having anything yeah and it, I, at the end i think a lot of people just don't bother yeah, it's true. And it just mm-hmm. doesn't end up equating to meaning much to them. And I'm not here to judge that actually. Yeah, I just sure. I just I have found really deep meaning like part of the point of life, part of the living on the edge of the great evolution of humanity is to be able to grapple with these ideas yeah. mm-hmm. and like talk about, you know, living on your edge. How about we live on the edge of evolution of this world? And be out here with some of the most important ideas that humans have ever thought up and like actually engage with them um, rather than laying up and saying it's not worth it or I'd rather not. And um, for me, that's just that's life giving. So if it's not for somebody else, that's that's for them. But yeah, for me, I'm ready to go there and I want my kids to be there saying, oh, what what has mattered? What sort of matters eternally to humans? And actually, to really dive into it, man, like, this shit is up for grabs. 
And I, I want to be on the side of saying, like, there's a story to be told. There are things that matter to humans. And what do you I, mean there's things that are up for grabs? What we're facing with the ecological future of this world and more presently, like, yeah. the technological uh-huh. future and the blending of artificial intelligence yeah. with humans and, like, what it is to be humans, what humans want to stand up for in this world, it matters it matters yeah it does and like i want to be standing up and saying things that matter to me Mm -hmm. and saying like to be human to move forward as a civilization like i think we need to be leaning into these big ideas or else we're going to lean into our comfort we're going to lean into our habits we're going to lean into our fears and i i want my kids to feel strongly like we're pushing into the big best ideas we've got yeah, and not be afraid to push into it, you know, not be afraid to challenge it, not be afraid to look into it, mm. you know? Yeah, and that's kind of like what you are saying, you know, earlier on, it's like, and let's be honest with them about it. Like, yeah. let's, let's open it up and, like, dig in and be, you know, let them go for it and lean into it and... Um, yeah you know and i just i I think about like not wanting to lie to my kids so much i feel like there's all these traditions and i think about that i'm I'm always at odds with christmas oh yeah we're just off of christmas right i know that's something where i'm like i don't know you just like oh like i love the tradition of of giving and i love the tradition of, of a lot of it but it's like this idea of you know, they're conceptualizing Santa mm. and that thing. And like, oh, gosh. And, and just, I don't know. Because I remember when I realized it wasn't. When I woke up and the cookies were still there because my dad forgot to eat them. <laughs> you know? And you're just like, <laughs> and the deflated. Ooh, well, that's the, tough. On, that's a tough Christmas morning moment. Yeah. And you're just deflated, you know? Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I just don't, you know, I want to, I want to, to, to challenge into question and to think, and I want him to have all like what you were saying and, you know, just not so oppressive. Mm. Yeah. That's the real invitation. I mean, I know that's been the scarring of a lot of people who grow yeah. up in church is that they weren't, their questions weren't welcome. <clears throat> yeah. And, and then anything that was different was not, was not welcome either. Yeah. And, I was fortunate to grow up at least in a house where the questions weren't weren't loved, but they were welcome. You know, like yeah. there was this expectation that I was going to create my own mind uh-huh. and that that actually that was the right thing. And there was this idea of creating a, a construct, you know, a, a way of understanding that I could play with and react to. Yeah. But what I would ultimately see, and this is what I think tends to matter the most, and this is actually really key to how I think about parenting, is like the model matters the most. Yeah. The Mm -hmm. quality of the people that my parents were mattered the most. Uh And they they put that up on a set of beliefs, and then they lived their lives, and I could see the connection. And I could see, like, it matters what you believe to how you are as a person. And that was paramount. Yeah. You know, and and as much as like I got into my adolescent wars with my parents, like ultimately they have my respect because they believe something and they acted like it. Yeah. And that was cool. Like that 
that was cool. <laughs> I was like, I, I can, I can see you all, and I can't, I can't get mad at that. No, nope. even if I don't love it, and that's how I would want to be for my kids: is that they see the it, line of integrity that yeah. connects the beliefs to the. You actions. said integrity, and yeah, you saw the integrity of you know they weren't just like putting up a front. It was they were walking the walk and talking the talk. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, there is one last thing, and your sister mentioned this, and we talked about it. You guys knew saves the day, or were in? Oh yeah, I forgot. This is like we didn't even talk that much about music, but I know we could go deep on music. I just remember, like, I was, I was such a. We we had a moment at Jim's house, but yeah. So, but but you were. She said she said that Andrew was in saves the day. I think that's what she had said. that's amazing. The, uh, well, no, but he saves the day. Members of saves the day went to our high school. Got it. When mm-hmm. we were there. Okay. And so, uh, they were like, some of those first videos were shot like with kids from our high schools and like they, wow. were. it was, it was, that was cool. And they were literally in high school when that, I mean, you talk about when kids, when bands make it, they were in high school making that stuff. Um, and a couple of them uh, were friends with my brother, and they played a gig at his birthday. I think really? it was like his 18th birthday. They came to our house, and they were playing with another guy, and they kind of put on... It was not Saves the Day music. It was different mm-hmm. music, but they just played a bunch of, I think, standards. And it was fun. Like My dad played with them for a while, because my dad plays bass, and he yeah. like, hopped on uh-huh. and played some. They're just like, they were playing like 50s and 60s standards, and it was a really fun party. And Andrew was playing on the piano, and it was just a great time. And then they created their own little sub band. So members of Saves the Day were in this like sub band that was also playing around Princeton at the time. So wow. So yes, not Saves the Day, but Saves the Day adjacent. Yeah. Uh, and that was good. I and mean, we grew up, man. Princeton, New Jersey, in the '90s was like music. A lot of bands came out of Jersey. Music heaven. Yeah, it was like. Didn't isn't Thursday from Jersey? Yeah, those guys, and then it was also like the Spin Doctors. Spin and, Doctors are from Jersey. Yeah, like oh, fish, Little Miss can't fish be wrong. started in New Jersey. Like there was just like right in Princeton. I mean, I'm talking about Princeton. Like they wow. were like around, so it was a fun, it was a good vibe. <laughs> it was a good vibe, man. So that's the story of Saves the Day. I just, I just, I forgot to, mi- I forgot to mention it with your brother, and I wanted to mention. Ah, uh, okay. Well, I'm happy to fill you in. I mean, I, I would hate that if that was not legendary enough a story. Cause no, sure it is legendary That enough. story could be told in a way that it, Andrew wasn't Saves the Day and, you know, had a, a different... No, I just... Because the 2000 punk rock scene was a lot of, like, in my the concerts I was going to. I mean, I've seen Saves the Day twice, you know, all that kind of... That kind of... That scene. Ah, uh, it's good, man. We used to geek out about oh god saves the day just it's it's one of those names that just takes me back yeah to like just yeah that really is that 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 is like place and time kind of music yeah we're the same especially when you come of age Uh like it's it's a certain coming of age music too yeah it was like it was dashboard and saves the day uh i saw them on a bill one time Say dashboard. That's that's an epic bill. Dashboard was opening for Saves the Day, and that was that. I was just like, "This is, this is, this is the best." And um, 
Yeah, he was just it was just dashboard because my brother we were there mainly to see dashboard, but also saves the day was like, oh my god, this is gonna be great too. Um, what else was that? And then the newfound glory. It just it was just all that's all I was listening to at those oh, in the two yeah. thousands, early two thousands. Oh yeah, that was that was a scene, man. Uh-huh. I read a great a great article. I'll send it to you. It was the oral history of the dashboard confessional like MTV live show. The one that was super famous. Oh, I've read that. You've read that one. Because it's 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 bananas. Yeah, it's a great article. Yeah. Great uh-huh. read. I'm I'm not that wasn't even sort of my vibe in the music, but I remember that scene just because it was around me and that was a great read. If anybody wants to like go dig in a little yeah, a deep dive on that they, moment yeah, in time. It was like a four or five hour thing and like people were like stuck. Oh God, it ended up being like really bad for yeah. some people. But there was just like this, there was something about that music uh-huh. that I think this is really cool around teenage energy. And I uh-huh. like one of those things like, that you you're you want to bond you are bonded in some way in this like moment of time and singing speaking of dancing i mentioned dancing with like the indians but like there's another thing that's like often gone missing from our culture and like collective singing choir singing you know it's like it's actually why when you hear those chants at the soccer matches you talked about you know it's like it feels incredible like yeah. you really do feel part of something and watching that performance like that whole room was just singing every word <laughs> and it was like a ritual letting out dude of saying the things that just needed to be said every con every every dashboard confessional show i've been to i've been to six or seven yeah six or seven from like just him and his guitar to like recently uh just a full band at the virginia beach amphitheater right they're they're still playing like the virginia beach amphitheater yeah he played he opened for the counting crows oh man um fun but everyone sings every word i've been to hundreds and hundreds of concerts and it is not there's something about the dashboard confessional songs that when you're there you're gonna sing every word That's and cool. it's it's guys and girls are just i mean we're screaming infidelities <laughs> right along with chris caraba and it's it's a beautiful thing i mean i would be i, I mean you, you just you just you're overwhelmed with emotions i've had one i've had one concert that I went to that was like that and not the same way. Cause I think there's a certain, there's a certain something that's special about that group yeah, uh-huh. and that culture. Yeah. But I went uh, just on a last minute whim to go see Billy Joel at Madison square garden. He was like doing his residency there where he's like yeah. playing once a month. And like, I listen, I grew up in New Jersey. Like, yeah, you're going to know Billy Joel. Like he's uh-huh. going to be in the air and you're going to know the tunes. Yeah. And it was like being with 18,000 people who knew every single Billy Joel song. He just played all his greatest hits and he's got loads of them. He's like one of these, the best songwriters period in American history. Uh And everyone knew every word of every song. And I went to that concert with no expectations and I went, I know every Billy Joel song. Like 
I sang I sang along to every single one of them, and I couldn't believe it. I was having the time of my life. I just having a couple of beers, singing along with Billy Joel in his epic band, and just felt great because I would just look down there and then it's like, there's the next fifteen people also singing along, and we're singing all these great songs that have meant. And there's something really profound in that because they've all meant something special to all of us in our yeah. own ways. Oh, and I yeah. felt that way about. Like especially a group like Dashboard Confessional, where you're like, you, there is something in that music that ties it to memories. Like, I remember that song in this place, and I remember this song with that person. And, like, to know that you're in a room with a thousand other people or who have, like, as deep of memories in their own life with this music. It's a beautiful thing. So cool. Oh, God, we could talk. <laughs> so cool. I did. I did two and a half hours on that with a guy recently we just sat and talked about that for so long because it's it's a beautiful it's a powerful thing it's it's a it's a healing thing oh. and it restores your like hope in each yeah. other and like uh-huh. your fellow human it brings a lot of humanity because you know that that you're not so dissimilar and what's wild about it is it's just a collection of vibrations traveling through the air that we are breathing and somehow it's just formed into this this way you know because it's sound that's all sound is is vibrations traveling through oxygen and it's just it's just (laughs) for some reason you get billy joel with the voice and the piano keys and it's arranged in a way that just takes you to that place and it's it's hard to duplicate so man yeah, we'll come back on and talk some more about music because yeah. we could, or let's just go have a beer tomorrow. And do that. <laughs> well, um, so any last words? Anything? I mean, you've said a lot of really profound and good. It's been a great conversation mm. these last two hours. Mm. Uh, man, I don't know if there's much more to say than like what what an incredibly full life experience it is to be a parent. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm glad I have the chance to do it. It feels like it's one of the true adventures of a lifetime and it it brings all the highs and all the lows and all the energy and all the fatigue and it all feels like I I was thinking on the way where I was like, Yeah, it kind of is everything you ever hear about it. Mm-hmm. When people are like, Yeah, it is a great joy and it is crazy tiring and it's like the most frustrating thing and it's completely relentless. Um, but I do feel like deeply joyful and grateful to be having the opportunity to do it. And nice. I feel really challenged. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to feel part of like call it conscious parenting or just among, among friends and peers who also take it really seriously and want to be good at it and want to enjoy it yeah. and, and don't, and want to go full Gary Busey on it sometimes too and be like, you know what? It's like, it's silly. It's silly that we do this. It's wild. You know, we're like continuing this crazy human experiment. We just had sex and we had a kid. So yep. like, like, and that's been going on a long time. And like, here we are and for thousands and thousands of years. And just, you know, just, you know, do it the best we can and enjoy yeah. it along the way. And, and really is a, it's a gift and I, I can't say uh, any more thanks than to say like to, to reflect on it is yeah. a gift in and of itself mm-hmm. and to create some space to encourage us all um, 
to think some more about how we're doing it, how it works. Uh, it ends up being so much of the time we spend in our lives, those of us who are our parents, uh, to bring some awareness and some thoughtfulness and some reflection is very welcome. And uh, I'm grateful for that. So thanks. Ben. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for allowing me to share your story with other dads and other people that are listening. This was, this was great. Go find your joy. Yeah, guys. Go, go get it. Go, go, go find wild. your wild. Bring, bring, and bring your kids with yeah. you. And remember, um, <laughs> if you like it, you can rate me and review me and subscribe in all the places that you can. Uh, remember, I'm. Uh, I messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Remember, I'm just the channel. I'm not the source. Peace.